We're saved by grace through faith. The Bible is clear about that. It's not by anything we've done. And yet Pastor Ray Bentley says the Bible also points out works are still important. James comes along and says, hey, if you have faith or belief, but you don't have works in your life that demonstrate that you actually believe, he says, then you have a dead faith. And that won't save you. Spread Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. If we could earn our way to heaven by the good things we do, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Works don't get us to heaven. But once we put our faith in Christ, good works are the natural byproduct, the proof that our faith is real. Pastor Ray takes us to James today to explain. James chapter 2. Now, here we're going to talk about faith. The message title is Faith That Works as Alive. And you've got Paul who says, on the one hand, you are saved by grace, which means gift, and through faith, uh, which is trusting in the Lord. And even that faith that you have to believe in Jesus, that's not something you worked up. It is the gift of God unto salvation. Now, So Paul spends a lot of time saying that, you know, it's grace by faith alone without the works of the law, meaning you cannot by good works earn your way to heaven. If I had the ability, which I don't, but if I had the ability somehow to get on some major network and talk to all the, you know, nation at one time, the one thing as a pastor and as a Christian, I would want to make clear to the world at least once is you don't get to heaven by trying to, you know, be good. And it's good that you try to be good, but as good as you try to be, you'll never be good enough. Because heaven is perfect. And you want heaven to be perfect, right? Heaven is perfect. Therefore, only perfect people go there. Well, our problem then is that we're not perfect. And so no matter how good and how, you know, and so we judge, usually what we do is we kind of grade on the curve and we compare ourselves with other people. Well, I think I'll be okay because I'm not as, there's a lot of people that are a lot worse than I am. And I'm not too, I'm somewhere kind of in the middle. But the problem is the Bible says all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory, which is perfection. So, okay, fine, your gap isn't as big as some guy that's, you know, murdered masses of people and all of that. But there's still a gap between you and perfection. And it may be different for all of us, but whatever that gap is, and it's a lot bigger than we would imagine, whatever that gap is, that's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he paid for our sins with his own life and with his own blood and makes that difference. But now James comes along and says something that sounds like the opposite. He says, hey, if you have faith or belief, but you don't have works in your life that demonstrate that you actually believe, he says, then you have a dead faith and that won't save you. Um, Now, I try to explain this the best that I can. 
when God spoke to Abraham and said, you know, he believed in God's promise and God reckoned him to be righteous by his faith, he was, God just looks at your heart. So the moment you believe and trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, you are given that salvation. But nobody can see inside of your heart or my heart or anybody else's heart. So James is talking about being justified before men. And what James says is the only way that you can know whether someone is a believer or not is how they act, not just by what they say. And the worst situation is when you're saying one thing with your mouth and yet you're living a totally different way in your life. That's, that's what James is concerned with. So look with me in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And here's what James says, I will show you my faith by my works, by my obedience to God. I'll demonstrate to you, I really do trust in God and believe in God. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well, but even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, some pretty strong words from James, that faith without works is dead. So, okay, here's the deal. I remember being a young believer. I was still a teenager and I had moved into this Christian house ministry up in Santa Ana, California, going to Calvary Costa Mesa and lived in the House of Psalms. So you have all these... Uh, in this house ministry, people that were, got saved on the beach, people that had hitchhiked across the country from back east, they were living on the beach, they were using drugs, they were living, sleeping with people, living immoral lives, everything else. Somehow they end up getting captured that they need God and, and uh, there was a great spiritual search in, in that time and generation and they would make their way to Calvary Chapel, they would hear the gospel, they would get saved. And some of them would be in this house, which was kind of a halfway house anyway. And, uh, you know, so part of the deal is, so we're going to church and there's Christians, but they've got all these crazy backgrounds, their home lives were a mess and everything else. And you would come up to someone and if you would say, hey, you know, bro, there's like, you can't keep doing this. You know, you're saved now. And, you know, and here's what, you know, I'm going back to the 70s. Here's the classic phrase back in the 70s. Hey, bro, don't, don't like judge me, bro. You know, like, come on, bro. We're like to love one another and just get along and just every, hey, it's cool, man. Just don't judge me, bro. The Bible, Jesus said, don't judge, right? Have you ever been broed? <laughs> come on, bro, don't judge me. So you would get the bro treatment. So then it's like, well, okay, then we're, so I didn't know as a young believer, so, so you're not supposed to say anything. And people can just do whatever they want. And then, so what does it mean or does it change your life to become a Christian or not? So then I go to a Bible study and Pastor Chuck Smith says, hey, he goes, I want to clarify something. He goes, when we, we are not to judge one another. When people say, you know, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, right? You remember? And it's amazing how many people that don't even go to church, they know that Bible verse. They've memorized it. They've got it in their heart, you know. So they've heard that one. But he goes, and it's right, we are not their judge. God is the only judge and God reserves that right because he's the only one that knows all the facts and he's fair. Okay, he goes, but though we are not to judge one another or to condemn one another, he goes, that doesn't mean we can't be fruit inspectors. 
and see if there's fruit in people's lives. And so, you know, he, we would laugh and then in the house we would tease one another, bro, man, you've got some, you know, you got some puny fruit, dude, what's going on, you know? So look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verses 16 through 21, about being fruit inspectors, if you will. And let's read it out loud together. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So these are some sobering words. I mean, in other words, it's more than just you, you know, had an experience and uh, now you say, okay, well now I'm a Christian. And then you live any way that you want to. And then finally, day of judgment comes, you're standing before God and you, oh, hey, Lord, Lord. And he goes, I'm sorry, I, I didn't really know you. We didn't have a relationship. And so he'll say, those who do the will of my father are the ones who listen to me, walk with me daily and have a relationship. That's where James is coming from. Because the Old Testament prophets, in the history of the Jews and of the Hebrews in the Old Testament days was not always, but often it was, you're giving me the words and the right words with your lips, but your hearts are far removed from me. It's possible to be faithful in some kind of, you know, religious attendance, and yet at the same time, then walk away and forget everything about it and do your own thing, as they say. And that's not right. That is not evidence of a genuine uh, salvation where you've been saved and born again. It doesn't mean you're perfect but it means there's a, there's a process, there's change, there's new things going on, and, and it's not bad to feel convicted about certain things, and we grow little by little. Do you understand? Does that make sense? Okay, faith and works, as I put here in your notes, are like two wings of a bird. You need two wings to fly, to soar. One wing is sad. <laughs> it's not enough to get flight. Now, right behind me, do you notice, have you ever noticed this big uh, bird behind me? That is the symbol that actually comes from Maranatha music and the days, the early days of the Jesus people was somebody drew this little caricature, whatever, of the dove. And what it comes from is the story of Jesus getting baptized when he walked up to John the Baptist to get baptized. And the Lord had told John, the one upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove. That's the one. And when John baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit come in the form of a dove. Do you know, why did God pick the dove to be a symbol of the Holy Spirit? If you know about doves, beautiful birds, very sensitive birds, and they will only land in a place that is absolutely still. They're easily disturbed. So they land in a place where it is peaceful. Thus, the dove, the Holy Spirit, landed upon Jesus, who had the tranquility and the peace of being the Messiah, the incarnation of God himself. And so this is kind of our reminder that we need, once we know the Lord, to walk in the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
empowered by the Holy Spirit once we've invited Jesus Christ into our hearts and lives. Amen? So, faith and works are kind of like that. Yes, you need to believe and you need to trust, but the Bible says, work out also your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do according to His pleasure. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. Since Pastor Ray's homecoming to heaven, so many listeners have shared comments on what his teachings on Maranatha Radio have meant to them. We love you, Pastor Ray, and we miss you. What a blessing that we were all able to hear and experience God through his passion for the Word and his ability to simplify and make things humorous and fun. I miss his contagious laugh. He had the best laugh. God, please be with his family and friends. At Maranatha Radio, the love and support the Bentley family have received is overwhelming and very much appreciated. If you'd like to express your thoughts and tell us how these messages have impacted your life, would you take just 60 seconds and write an email? Send it to ray at raybentley.com or post it on our homepage at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. Now, here's another interesting thing. Verse 19. Look at this, what James says. He says, you say, I believe in one God. You believe that there is one God. Okay, good, you do well. And then not impressed, James goes on, well, even the demons believe and tremble. In other words, just saying, well, I believe in God. You know, I even believe in Jesus. Well, that's good, but so do the demons. As I put here in your notes, there is not a demon in the universe who is an atheist. (laughs) Did you know, did you ever think about that? There's not one demon that is an atheist. So in essence, what James is saying is that it's not enough to intellectually assent to the story of Jesus and the gospel, the death and burial and resurrection. That's good, it's a beginning, and it's not enough even to have an emotional response to that story, which is also good and should happen, not in fear, but one of embracing. But the final part that makes faith that saves is when he enters your heart of hearts, when your will is open. That's why Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. I cannot tell you how I love that verse. I love that verse because of what it tells me about Jesus, my Lord. He knows who he is. He knows that he has the power that he claims to have, that he he is God manifest in the flesh and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead. He's the Lord, he is savior, but he doesn't come force anybody. Not one person is forced to live a righteous life or to follow Jesus or for that matter, to go to heaven. The only people who will be in heaven are those who want to. And I love that how this tells about his nature. He doesn't push, he doesn't demand, he doesn't force. Like a gentleman, he stands patiently, persistently all through our lives and knocks with the voice of one crying, please open the door. Someone has said, you know, the door of the human heart is, uh, the doorknob is only on the inside, only you can open it and allow him to come in. And when he comes in, Yes, your mind, your heart, but your will. Now the Holy Spirit's in there and he's gonna change things up. He's gonna move things around. He's gonna rearrange your life. 
this reminds me of the story of John Wesley. Now, part of my own testimony is that by the end of junior high school and through my high school years, I went to a Wesleyan church. That's part of my spiritual background upbringing. And it was a great church and a, and a wonderful uh, time and formation of my life. But the story of the guy who started the Wesleyan Methodist Church is very interesting. How many of you know, have heard at least of John Wesley? Heard of John Wesley? Did you know that when he got saved and born again, he was, had already been a minister and a clergyman for quite a while. He was, he was a, a missionary. He had memorized most of the Greek New Testament. He had a disciplined daily devotional life. And on top of that, he was a missionary to Indians. And he was preaching sermons to other people. And then one day he said, you know what? I've been telling everybody else, but I myself am actually not born again. So he then, for, he realized that he needed to trust in Christ and Christ alone for his salvation, his heart uh, being strangely warmed and, and he just, he became on fire. How many think it's always good when the preacher finally gets saved? <laughs> hey, hey, I'm saved. I know the Lord, but yeah, it was a good thing. Well, then when he got saved, he was on fire. And he preached as he never preached before. He not only preached in churches, he would go out and preach to the mines. And, and the guys in the mines would come out, their black little faces over there in England, and they would stand out there and he would preach to them and they would receive Christ. He preached in fields. He preached on a street corner. He went into the pubs. Because the people in the pubs weren't coming to church, he said, well, I'll go to them. And he went in there and he would preach and people would go, good sermon, you know, and they would get saved and their lives were transformed. He would preach to one or he would preach to 10,000. He spoke and preached over 42,000 sermons. He averaged over 4,500 miles a year because he rode 60 to 70 miles a day by horseback to preach in different places. He preached an average of three sermons a day, seven days a week for his entire life. When he was 83, he wrote in his diary, he said, I am a wonder to myself. I am never tired, either with preaching, writing, or traveling. And he didn't even set out to start the, uh, the Wesleyan church or whatever. He just wanted the, the Church of England to get on fire. So anyway, here's this guy. He's 83 and he's still just on fire. Why? Because there was something inside of him that burned. Listen, I know not all of you are called to be a missionary, pastor, whatever, but all of you have been uniquely designed by God. All of you can have your own, your experience can be not, it's not just reserved for super saints, but when the Holy Spirit comes in you, when you melt and when you yield to him, he can put all the pieces of your life back together. We make mistakes. We blow it. We, we blow it royally. But our dad is so good and he is so gracious and he is so loving. He knew in advance our weaknesses, our mistakes and our failures. And he loves and waits patiently and he's knocking and he says, any moment if you'll respond to me, I will come in and I can transform your life into something that is so amazing and so beautiful, you can't even imagine it. And, and that's what John Wesley experienced. He was on fire for the Lord. Now look with me in verses 21 through 24. It gives now an example from the life of Abraham, a very powerful one. 
He says, now, what I find interesting is Paul uses Abraham because God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham believed the promise and he got reckoned righteous. Now James uses the same illustration of Abraham to say you need to have works as well. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect or complete. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Let me give the background of this story. He had just fought a battle with 318 of his men against these four kings to rescue his nephew Lot who had gotten into trouble. And he came back and he, was, he just felt spent. And he goes, God, he goes, look, I'm dying. And the only pleasure that I could have is if I, uh, you've blessed me, I've got a lot of neat things, but if I don't have a son, the Lord came to him and said, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. And in Genesis 15, six, he said, look now toward heaven, count the stars if you were able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Okay, everybody look up here for just a moment. I want you to know this, your dad in heaven loves you so much. He knows you, how you're wired. He knows what would make you the most complete, happy and fulfilled. And guess what? as he threw his arm around Abraham and said, that's exactly what I want to give to you. That's what our dad does. If you will delight yourself in the Lord, the Bible says he also will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know why? Because the desires of your heart were put there by the Lord himself. So this happened at night, by the way, because as it were, God put his arm around his little son Abraham and he says, come outside, son. Let's look up, see all those stars? That's how many, I'm not just gonna give you one. I'm going to give you thousands and thousands of descendants. The desire of your heart I give you. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord and God reckoned to him righteousness. Now, do you know that right there, that's the first instance in the Bible the word believe is found? is when Abraham believed a good promise from God. I wanna to say to you this morning, I don't care how badly your life has gone or what mistakes you've made, what failures there have been, what shortcomings, what things have been taken from you. God is not finished. He's got a whole, he's got all of eternity. And a few little things that happen in a few moments, this is nothing. And, and it, this is nothing for God to fix your life, to heal your heart, to reconcile uh, and, and to bring healing and to bring meaning and fulfillment and purpose and passion into your life. Great encouragement from Pastor Ray Bentley today from our studies in the book of James here on Maranatha Radio. Now today's study is titled, Faith That Works Is Alive. If you missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at RayBentley.com. That's RayBentley.com. 
There at the homepage, there's a place to leave a written tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And by clicking Media, you'll see the words Watch, Radio, and Devo, three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights via video, audio recording, or daily devotions. In fact, at the very bottom of the page, you can arrange to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions each day automatically at no charge and also link to his YouTube and Facebook pages. Why not bookmark it? RayBentley.com. And you'll find Pastor Ray's books, The Cyrus Mandate and As the Days of Noah, both prophetic fiction novels in the Elijah Chronicles series. And RayBentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also donate securely right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Or our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of James. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.